This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, we have some incredible races heading down the stretch. The Georgia Swarm have put up 21 goals in back-to-back games. O-coach Dan Latissour will stop by once again. The Colorado Mammoth need to get back on track after their bye weekend. Director of Player Personnel Dan Carey checks in. And it's a must-win weekend for a bunch of teams. All that and more on OTCB. Hello, 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 and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and, of course, NLL Radio. There's three weeks left in the National Lacrosse League season. Where did the time go? My name is Teddy Jenner. I'm with you for the next hour or so. If you want to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. There's an E on the end of cross. Or you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Only three games last weekend. We'll break all three down. Five games this weekend, including the Twitter game of the week as Rochester heads west to take on Colorado. That is on Saturday night. Plus Buffalo in a doubleheader weekend in what is turning out to be a very important weekend for them. If they lose both of their games to Toronto Friday and Georgia on Saturday, both road games, they would officially be out of the playoffs. The Vancouver Stealth are in a very tough position as if they lose, then they are going to need a lot of help down the stretch as they take on Vancouver, sorry, as they take on Calgary at home this weekend. The Rush can clinch home in the West. The Swarm can clinch home in the East. The Mammoth can get a playoff spot. The Rock can get a playoff spot. And that is just how crazy it is right now. The Swarm clinched their playoff spot last weekend uh, with another absolute demolishing of a National Lacrosse League team. Uh, For their second straight week, they put up 21 goals. And they are doing it by committee. And everybody is having a whole lot of fun. It was a route from the start. New England never really seemed to get off the bench. And the swarm just kept on piling on and piling on and piling on. And the analysis from Randy Fraser on this goal, which ended up being the game-winning goal, pretty much sums up how the night went for the Black Wolves. up and fed ahead it's Ethan O'Connor one-on-none and he scores Ethan O'Connor takes the long feed from Joel White and this was a case again of let's not pick up the ball because we don't want to create a problem why quitting on the ball yeah (laughs) I mean I I like Randy Um, he involves himself a lot in the broadcast for the Black Wolves games Um, he is a very avid contributor to those games (laughs) But his just melodic, mundane response as being the color guy when Chuck Jaffe essentially throws it to him is just, it's priceless. One more time. It's the perfect summation of what was a great night turned bad because 
Chris Hogan was in town. Uh, they signed him to an honorary one-day contract. It was um, Native American night inside the casino. It was the Swarm against the Black Wolves. And New England puts out that kind of showing and gets absolutely stomped by the Swarm, who with the victory clinched a playoff spot. And Randy Fraser was just, I like, it was... He was to the point where he had nothing else to say because he didn't want to say anything bad about the Black Wolves. They weren't playing a very good game. And I probably would have felt the same way watching the Mammoth play their game against Georgia two weeks ago when they were getting absolutely schlacked. How do you feel about that goal? Yeah. Pretty much sums it up. Yeah. So that was the game on Friday night. And again, with that win, it allows Georgia to clinch a playoff spot. It puts New England a little bit further back. They are still in third. They're a a full game behind Toronto, but they can catch the Rock. They've both played 15 games, so they still have um, three games left. But they also have some breathing room between Rochester and Buffalo, who are in some very important games this weekend, as discussed. And it will be interesting to see if it's Georgia, Toronto, and New England in the playoffs. What an interesting Eastern division that playoff set those will be. And that's kind of looking like how it's going to play out because, you know, essentially Rochester and Buffalo need to start winning some games. And it's not going to get easier for either of those teams because they both still have double headers against Georgia. And when I spoke with Dan Lattisur earlier in the day, uh, we talked about that, and we I, I started the conversation asking if this Swarm team has gotten to the point of being in such good chemistry and in such flow with each other that is 21 the new norm for them? Uh, yeah, I don't know if you can put a number on it like that, uh, you know, that kind of high scoring that was, you know, those guys are really clicking and I, you know, teams are great in this league. They're going to look at film and they're going to figure out some things and, and better ways to defend against us. And, you know, then it's back on us to make some adjustments as well. So I don't know if we can uh, keep a trend going of 21. Obviously I'd like to, um, but uh, you know, I think it's a, that's a pretty big number to, to be maintaining. Are they still making your job out that front door pretty easy? They really are. You know, it's it's funny. Um, you talk to the guys, and they're so so laid back, and so you know, we have you know, like Eddie's established, we have our principles and we have our guidelines, and you know, just uh, some gentle reminders about those guidelines as we go forward, and and you know, they really do take care of the rest of it. It's it's really difficult to tell, you know, Lyle or Miles or Shane Jackson or Randy Stats how to put the ball in the net. You mm-hmm. know. <laughs> You're not you're not going to tell those guys. It, it just comes to second nature to them. So again, just gentle reminders about what we're trying to do, the process, and, uh, and really that's kind of my role. The, the one thing I, I really enjoyed about watching the Stealth last weekend was just the unselfishness of some of the guys. You know, the extra pass. Uh, you know, the pass from Stats to Shane Jackson coming down the backside, that low far side bouncer, or or just you know the pass from Miles to Jackson on a short side crease dumping. It's that extra pass that makes this offense so dangerous. 
and it's crazy to see such young guys with that unselfish attitude. It, you know what? And it, it, they really, it's nothing, it's nothing manufactured. They honestly enjoy seeing each other have success and seeing each other score. I mean, that backhand from Jackson across the crease to Johnny, uh, that, you know, those things are just gross and they, and they take pleasure in those. And, you know, I think sometimes early in the season, we were, we were a bit of a victim of trying to force that stuff, trying to mm-hmm. force that extra pass. And then when they take the pressure off themselves and just, again, play within uh, the systems and the principles, that those kind of things open up and they have such great vision uh, and great creativeness that uh, it just kind of, it, it happens for them and, and they really do enjoy uh, the success of the whole group. And, and that is a unique thing to have. Uh, as a defensive guy, is it nice to see your defensive group kind of turn the corner, but you guys have bit, had a bit of a slump in that, you know, middle third of the season. Um, good to see that group kind of bear down. And, and obviously the addition of Joel White has helped. The, Joel White's huge. I mean, there's, he's, He's just a ground ball machine, uh, plays with such physicality, transition the ball to the floor. And, you know, I think there's several highlight reels of him just, you know, getting it over center however he had to, around guys or through guys, it doesn't matter. <laughs> through guys, yeah. Yeah. So, and I think, uh, you know, I think Sean Ferris has done a good job in the back door as far as, you know, when we weren't at our best, looking at some film and saying, okay, like, why exactly is that? And then, you know, taking some time to address that and the limited practices that we have. And the guys themselves, you know, as far as, being open to that uh, criticism and those adjustments and, 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 and just owning it and mm-hmm. being willing to, to play differently and play better for each other and for Mike Poulin behind them. So, uh, yeah, they've, they're playing really well right now. And, and again, we're just, we're continuing to strive for consistency. Pooley settled down too, because there was back-to-back games where, where he was pulled, especially that game in, in Calgary where he just didn't have his best numbers. But um, how important is his veteran leadership and his experience in the past with Calgary going to be vital for this team moving forward? Oh, it's huge. And I think that was one of the biggest reasons, you know, John, you know, made the move to get him in the off season. You know, not only is he a great goaltender, he's a, he's a great leader and a great guy. Um, fun to have around in the locker room, but knows how to, how to focus and how to bring guys around. And, the messages that he gives, he's vocal in the dressing room, but it's all timely. He's not one of those mm-hmm. guys that talks all the time. He he picks his spot, uh, delivers his message, and because he of who he is and how he delivers his message, it's really effective. Uh, you guys have clinched uh, at least a home playoff spot. Uh, probably won't finish any worse than two in the East. Uh, but you got a, a tough stretch here coming up, uh, two against Buffalo. How important is this for you guys uh, to keep this momentum rolling? Well, that's it. Like, uh, you, you talk about going into the postseason, um, with, you know, rolling the right way. And that's what we want to do is I talked about, you know, maintaining our consistency. We want to make sure that, you know, we are, uh, we are concentrating on Georgia Swarm lacrosse and that we're not, we're not looking at other teams and how we're going to finish up and anything like that. And Eddie does a great job of keeping the guys focused on that and in the group. Um, you know, we don't concern ourselves with the other stuff, but, uh, we do want to make sure, uh, that the wheels are rolling right by the time the post post-secondary the postseason rolls around so um that's that's kind of what our focus is just keep keep being us did you uh get to go on the trip to nashville or is that a boys trip <laughs> no that was that was for the boys and uh you know what like i don't know uh, say what you want but you know we they came back and our next game is where we really seemed to have a, a bigger sense of unity and the guys you know playing for each other and, and leaving it all out there so you know there's i i always have find value in those team building weekends and you know um as much as they are a good time it's great to find that bond away from the floor too and just you know just sort of refresh why why you play the game and, and who you play it for there's dan latticeur 
offensive coach of the Georgia Swarm. And people still marvel that he's coaching the O. But oftentimes, defenders understand offenses so well and how to stop them. They can figure out how to set them up pretty well. And it's not like, as you heard him, he's not going to tell Lyle or Mile or Jordan Hall or Johnny Palace or Shane Jackson or Kyle Matisse or any of those guys how to score. Because they have more goals in all their rookie years than he probably did in his career. So he can just go out there and let them play, but he can use his eyes to understand what defenses are doing and help his offense break down that defense. It's very ingenious that way. And remember back with New England a few years ago when they had Tracy Kluski running the defense because Tracy could understand what offenses were doing so he could adjust his defense accordingly. Now, obviously, since they brought Jim Veltman in, it made an easy decision to just flip him to the O-door. And you can't obviously give all the credit to Laddie. Obviously, he's getting a lot of help from Eddie Como, but he allows that offensive group to play very freewheel style of ball. And it's very playground-like. And it's exciting to watch. As much as I have allegiance to the Colorado Mammoth, and I didn't like seeing 21 goals hung up on them two weeks ago, obviously it made me feel a little better watching them hang 21 on New England. But you have to just be able to sit back and give credit where credit was due. And they've been doing this all year. It's not like this is just some brand new thing of seeing them put up a whole bunch of numbers because they've been doing it all year. Sure, there's been the odd time where they've, you know, scored nine or 11 goals or eight goals. But remember the first two weekends of the year, they put up 18 against the Rush and Buffalo. They put up 17 earlier in the year on New England. They put up 21 against the Mammoth, 21 against New England. They've had big numbers scored them, so they've been back and forth. But this is a team that loves to put the ball in the net, and it's an obvious reason why they are the highest-scoring team in the National Lacrosse League. They have 208 goals for. Nobody is even close to that. The next closest team are the Rush and the Roughnecks at 187. So if you're going to face this Georgia Swarm team either in the next couple of weeks, and like I said, they have, they have Buffalo this weekend back-to-back, or sorry, in back-to-back weekends, the 15th and 22nd. Then they have Rochester in back-to-back on the same weekend to end the year. And those are two teams that need wins. So you're going to have to try and find some way, some way to shut down that offense. And it's not like you can focus on just one guy because, like I said, they are scoring by committee. Yes, Lyle Thompson is way out in front with 90 points. But after that, Hall has 68, Jackson 62, Stats 58, Matisse 55, Miles at 44, and Johnny at 34. And the guy's only played seven games. Then Jerome's at 34, and Jordan McIntosh is at 29. Like, That is one of the best spread-out offenses you can ask for. 
And imagine, like we've been saying all year, imagine if they had Jesse King. Now, if they have Jesse King, they may not have Jordan Hall. However, I think that's a pretty equal decision there. Also imagine if a couple years ago, imagine if they hadn't gotten rid of Callum Crawford and lost him in free agency. Now, I don't know if he fits in with that offense now. And I'm sure they, you know, it was a decision that they had to make moving forward. Okay, is Callum part of our program? Is he not? But imagine if they made the decision that he was a part of their program. And so that right side was Miles, Lyle, Randy, and Callum Crawford, plus Kyle Matisse. Again, don't think it would have happened, but it's just scary to think of what ifs. And whatever Callum is doing in Colorado is just phenomenal. And he continues to be a huge reason for their success along with Dylan Ward. And Crawford's right up there in that scoring race near the top of the tables with 85 points. 11 back of the league leader, Curtis Dixon. And Curtis Dixon has been averaging over six and a half points per game in his last five games. And the Roughnecks are on a bit of a winning streak. Don't look now. Only one of three teams in the NLL right now that are actually on a winning streak. Georgia has won back-to-back, along with Saskatchewan. And Calgary's won three straight. They're the hottest team in the NLL right now. And because of those three wins, they've given themselves a half-game cushion in front of Vancouver. Going into a game this weekend in Vancouver. And Calgary needed that win last weekend, and they got an incredible performance from Frankie Shiliano, who has, you know, struggled this year. And we've talked about his struggles on this show. And... Maybe it's the pressure of being the number one guy in the NLL. Maybe it's because he's played a lot of lacrosse over the past calendar year. But he played one of his best games of the year on Saturday night as Calgary beat Buffalo 13-8. Frankie made uh, 46 saves, 16 in the first quarter where he blanked the Bandits. And then just continue to settle in and play another solid game. And it's given them a half-game lead over their arch-rivals from Vancouver, who they play this weekend. So after the game on Saturday night, media meeting in the Roughnecks locker room, get around Frankie, and they ask him, you know, what's been the difference in these last three games than maybe the previous few games that have helped the Roughnecks get on this bit of a winning streak? And it's a very little thing. But we often talk about how momentum is huge in the National Cross League and also being able to stop momentum. Well, Frankie agrees. Yeah, I think uh, our team's playing a full 60 minutes, and I think that's key in this league. Uh, you know, uh, you have to be able to stop the runs. And, uh, you know, the last couple of games, you know, when teams have scored goals, we've been able to answer right away, and uh, that's a nice feeling. The old 60 minutes cliche. 
But it's true. How many times in this league, and in any league, in any pro sport, minor sport, amateur sport, tiddlywinks, if you don't play a complete game, you're going to be in some serious trouble. Sure, there's times where you can have a bad quarter and still come out and win, but it's being able to put consistent 60 minutes together that will always help a team be successful. And the way this Calgary team is playing, and we see this a lot with Calgary, it's crazy. They have these weird stretches, beginning, middle, and end of the season that just can hamper them. And we have seen them start 0-6. We've seen them lose, you know, five in a row. But they've kind of turned this corner. And it's imperative for them to get around this corner because the stretch that they're on, they have Vancouver this weekend. If they win this weekend, they almost guarantee themselves a playoff spot. Not officially, but it's going to make it really hard. Vancouver will have to win out, and Calgary will have to lose to Saskatchewan in their final game of the year. And the Vancouver schedule isn't that easy. They have Calgary this weekend, they host Colorado, and then they have to travel to New England to end the year. So for the Stealth, who were handed a 16-12 loss in Saskatchewan, they need to be able to quickly regroup. And it probably benefits them that they're at home this weekend, I think. They're not exactly the greatest team at home. However, you know, it's good for them to be able to have the comforts of home. And Vancouver is 2-5 and five inside the LEC. This will be their last home game of the year. Sorry, second to last. They have Colorado still. But if they're going to get into the playoffs, and I truly believe for this franchise to continue to exist in the lower mainland, playoffs are imperative in 2017. And the crazy thing is, they're probably not going to get a home game. However, just being able to make the playoffs can shine some ray of hope on an organization that has just continues to fall away from the rest of the pack in terms of strength, fan base, and, you know, positive momentum moving forward. There's tons of talk surrounding this organization uh, with, with Denise's agreement with the LEC um, I believe her lease is up at the end of this season. Uh, what does she do? Uh, her deal is a pretty good deal with the LEC and, and with the Township of Langley. She has a like she has a really really good deal with them, and that's why it's essentially working for her. But four straight years of no playoffs since they've moved north of the border is unacceptable. And if the team does stay in Vancouver, which we all hope it does, there needs to be some serious, serious changes made. And I don't think it's... While I say serious changes, I think the changes need to be made to fix the atmosphere of that club. 
And I know Jamie Batley and a lot of the players have really kind of responded to bats quite well. And he's kind of helped spark them a little bit. And you know what? They've lost some close games and, you know, a few different bounces here and there. And, uh, you know, it's different. You know, that loss to Colorado at home in overtime was crushing. And that's a game they should have won. The, the, the first game of the year, the 12-11 win against, Van, uh, against Calgary, was the only other time this year they've been in a one-goal game. But they've been close a lot of times. You know, that, that game at home against Georgia, the week before they lost to, Cal, uh, lost to Colorado, they should have won that game. So their, their, their play at home is indicative where they are in the standings. And two and five at home, you're rarely ever going to get into the playoffs with that kind of record. And there has to come a time when an owner looks at her organization and tries to figure out what can be done. She's lost the greatest coach the franchise has ever had. And they've moved on from Dan Perot and brought in Batley. They've traded players. They've made big splashes in free agency. They have no draft, first-round draft picks for another three drafts. You can't keep changing the player personnel and the coaches if you're not willing to change front office. And I love Doug Locker as a human being. He is a great individual. He has done a lot for this organization. And he's been around the league for a long, long time. But name me another general manager in any sport that has seen his team go four straight years of no playoffs and still have a job. Now, I'm not blaming the stealth playoff misses on Doug. However, he hasn't been able to orchestrate the right deals to help his club. He's traded away picks in hopes of a quick fix, and oftentimes they haven't worked out. And so if this club doesn't make the playoffs, and if they remain in Vancouver, I truly believe they need a new general manager. So those are the three games from this past weekend. And they've set up just a crazy wild finish, and we have ourselves some ridiculously good games to take in this weekend. It starts on Friday, Buffalo at Toronto. If Buffalo loses that game, they are in really tough in Georgia the next night. If they win that game, they kind of give themselves a bit of breathing room. It allows them to probably stay alive for another weekend. But it's going to make things tougher again down this road. And for the Bandits, the way that they're playing they are definitely going to be in tough. However, after this weekend against Toronto and in Georgia, oh, look, they have Georgia and Toronto again. Like, (laughs) 
You have to be so angry if you're a Bandits fan because that's how your season's ending, and those are the games that you have to win. If Buffalo goes 50-50 in those games, I don't even think they get in the playoffs. They're going to need some help from the Nighthawks and Black Wolves losing in order to get into the postseason. Two games on the road against the top two teams on the East, then two home games against the top two teams in the East. That's not fun. And not only isn't it fun, it's not easy. However, the one saving grace that it could be is that they are now officially in playoff lacrosse mode. And if you're going to be a successful team in the playoffs, you have to win playoff-type games at the end of the regular season. It'll be interesting to see if David DeRuscio gets the start against Toronto because he got the start against Calgary. It was rather a little surprising to see him get the start over cause. But, and I'm just going to throw this out there and let it fester in the winds. Could this be Anthony Cosmo's last game in Toronto? Just a question. He's had a lot of injuries this year. He hasn't been up to his best. And the only thing he's missing is an NLL title as a starter. He's won everything else. So he doesn't really need to keep playing. You know he wants to because he's one of the fiercest competitors out there. But just a question. So if it is possibly, does he get the start? And you know that he wants that start. And you know that he wants to play his best lacrosse in front of the Toronto fans and give his team hope. And since it is a doubleheader weekend, you would imagine that he and DeRuscio would split time, especially since they have to fly from Toronto to Georgia. It'll be interesting to see. So those are the first two games on Friday and Saturday. Also on Saturday, as we mentioned, the NLL Twitter game of the week, Rochester at Colorado. Colorado coming off of their bye week and the week before uh, the 21-goal loss. Not by 21 goals, but they gave up 21 goals. Scored 13 against Georgia. And let us hope for all the Mammoth fans listening and myself. Let's just hope that it was a blip on the radar. And... It can be washed away like the makeup I wear on game day with a simple rub of the face and a little bit of cold water. And they can move on. But this is a game against a very talented Rochester team, uh, a team that is fighting for their lives as well. They need to start winning games because if they don't, they could quickly find themselves on the outside looking in for the second straight season. Which would kind of be unthinkable considering this is a team that, you know, had won three straight titles. 
But they're in Colorado this weekend. And then they're home to New England. And then on the final weekend of the year, they're home to Georgia. Then they go to Georgia. Like, this is ridiculous. Some of these Eastern team schedules to end the year. That is filthy. The game in Colorado this weekend is huge because it, they need to start getting some momentum. If they lose this game this weekend, they need Buffalo to start losing. And you know Rochester fans love when Buffalo fans lose. But I've moved away from where I was going with Colorado. We'll come back to the Nighthawks in a minute. For the Mammoth, it is a time of you better start to play your best lacrosse now because they need to start coming in with some momentum. And they had it for a little while. They were playing some good lacrosse. But that game against Georgia was just an absolute head-scratcher. And down the road, they have Rochester at home, they're in Vancouver, and then Saskatchewan at home. Now, the Mammoth need the rush to lose games in a hurry. And when I say that, I mean they need them to lose their final four lacrosse games. I really don't think that happens, but it could. But if it does, they can put that Georgia game behind them. And when I talked with Director of Player Personnel, former Mammoth player himself, Dan Carey, I asked him what the heck happened in what was most likely the worst game the Mammoth have played all year long. We're still kind of scratching our heads. Um, it's a, that Georgia team's a great team. Uh, we knew that going into that game. I thought we played really well against them here defensively. And, you know, it, it starts with Dylan Ward back there. In my opinion, he's one of the best goalies in the world right now. And, uh, you know, when he's on, our defense really uh, really just kind of takes advantage of that. But um, So I thought I thought we matched up well against them here. And knowing the, the type of offense that they have and the, the firepower, um, you know, we, we kind of expected a good match in Georgia. But I don't know what happened. It's just one of those games, I guess. Um, you know, I think we didn't we didn't come prepared, and um, they're ready to go. You know, give them a lot of credit. They played really well that game, and I think uh, you know they showed the last couple of games this past mm-hmm. weekend. They put up 21 again, and just goes to show what uh, what they're capable of doing. Is it is it easy enough to say that it was just a one off game, and, and as much as you can learn from it, you can kind of put that game behind you? I think so. Um, we're we're confident in our group. Like we got a great team, you know. From from our opinion, uh, in, internally, and I think with other guys, they they really, uh, you know, they really think that that we have a team that can compete for championships this year. So if uh, you know if that was something that we thought was, was you know characteristic of our group then we'd be concerned but i think it was just one of those games that we just we didn't come ready to play and yeah. you know sometimes that can be a good thing especially down the stretch you know we had a bye weekend this this past weekend so it gave us some extra time to to refocus and and just look at the body work that we've put in before that game happened i think we were playing some pretty good lacrosse considering yeah. the injuries that we went through uh, we were missing you know some key players to injuries and you know that's not an excuse because we were still you know we were still playing pretty well so 
I think, uh, you know, we just got to write that one off and really focus on what we were doing well prior to that game. How important was that by week coming off of a weekend like you guys had in Georgia, uh, and allow the guys to, to get away from it and not dwell on it and, and give them some space? Or do you think it would have been better to get right back at it the next week? Uh, either way, I think you can take positives out of it, but for us, I think it comes at a really good time that bye week, um, guys, we haven't stopped since, you know, our first game in Buffalo and you start to, you know, kind of sometimes just look at it as a bit of a grind when you're going every weekend. So some of the guys, you know, I don't think there's some of them that just did nothing this past weekend. Some of them, you know, kind of took their time for themselves with their families and, Mm -hmm. and some of the younger guys, I think, you know, probably, uh, spent some time needed at home that they haven't been home for a while. So um, I know talking to the guys over, over this weekend and, and early this, this week, we, you know, I think we're ready to go for this weekend and guys are refreshed and refocused after the bye weekend. Your job is, as you know, director of player personnel and you're very hands-on with the guys and you communicate and communicate with them quite a bit as a, as a bit of a through way between them and, and GM Steve Govett. How important is that role amongst the organization and for any team to have that position and how hard is of it or sorry let's just go somewhere else first how often are you talking to guys uh depends some of the guys i talk to you know a couple times a week and some i don't uh you know there's some that i'll go a whole week without speaking with them and and talk to them once we see each other at practice depends on the situation depends on the player you know dan Coates, our captain i tend to talk to him quite a bit uh during the week. Um, but again, this past bye week, I think there was uh, less communication. I think it's important yeah. to just give, give the guys, you know, some space and, and then, you know, refresh and, uh, and kind of get ready to go for that, that next week, that next game. But um, it depends on what the situation is. Yeah. And there's times where, you know, we're, we're looking to get some opinion from, from the guys and, and just trying to see what the pulse is like. But um yeah, I think uh, for the most part, we got a great group and I'm able to to have a, a good rapport and good relationship with most or all the guys. Yeah. How how hard was it for you to make that transition um, from player to sort of a quote unquote management role? Uh, I had I had a few years in between being a player and yeah. uh, when I was approached by Steve to, to take on this role. Um, I haven't really found it to be to be difficult. I think there's there's a learning curve with it, but. Um, Steve's been great with me and, and kind of helping me learn through it. And the type of guys that we have on our team, the character guys have, uh, have made that easy. I think that's mm-hmm. the biggest thing is, you know, the guys, they don't really, uh, you know, they don't give us any issues and, um, they're just really good people. And that's, that's important to me and that's important to our, our, our organization to make sure that we have the right people, you know, on our team. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's obviously, you know, there's, there's, a learning curve with it, but for me, it uh, it's kind of went pretty smoothly so far. Yeah. Do you, do you think it's a? Uh, it obviously, it benefits you from having played in this league and and knowing a bunch of the guys when you first started the show. Do you think this is um, a position that most teams should look to have and, and bring someone that's been a part of the organization or at least part of the league within um, that role? I, I can't see it hurting. I think it depends on the organization and, yeah. um, you know, the title is, is one thing, but you know, you've got guys around the league that are probably, you know, in a different title or a different role doing very similar things. So yeah. 
um, you know, just to be able to, to work closely with Steve and, um, you know, focus on what we have on our floor as far as personnel and, and then just be able to, you know, to kind of work with the guys closely on, on, uh, you know, anything that, that we need to, to kind of focus on during the week uh, yeah. and as well as the off season. So. You guys go into a, a big game this weekend, uh, a chance to clinch a playoff spot, which is huge. Um, if you can get some help, you, you can get a home playoff game. But um, obviously the focus is on Rochester. What's the mindset of the group going into Saturday's game? I talked to a lot of the guys yesterday and today, and the guys are fired up. I know there isn't an easy game in this league, and you hear that a lot, but there really isn't. And Rochester, you know, they're going to be fighting for their lives. So for us to have, you know, a, a successful game Saturday, we're going to have to be playing to our potential and, you know, playing – playing playoff lacrosse and I think that's throughout the league everybody is considering every game now a playoff game so we you know it doesn't matter who we're playing we have to make sure that we're focused on what we do best and you know bringing our a game and and just really trying to peak at the right time we said that a lot you know with, from our players to our staff is, is peaking at the right time so now is the right time we've got three games left in the regular season and every game is going to be crucial to to how we, you know, first for one, get into playoffs, but also, you know, where we end up. And I know it's going to be tough to, to reach that number one spot, but um, if we're playing great lacrosse, you know, these next three games, then um, that's going to be the most important thing for us to get into playoffs. You talk about going in on a high note and peaking at the right time. Uh, it also helps to be healthy at the right time. And you guys have, it's been a long way for you guys to get there, but uh, is this club as healthy as it's been? Uh, yeah, we're Jordan Gillis is a little little banged up, but he's uh, you know he might be good to go for this weekend. We're we're going to be taking that day by day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been tough. It's been there's been times where we've you know talking as a staff and you hear results from you know from one of our guys and um, you know getting getting to see the doctors and we just there's times where you just almost have to laugh at it. And <laughs> I know a lot of teams go through that, and there's teams last year that uh you know it was a little bit more difficult than what we were dealing with but i really like how the group that we have has responded to that and you know you take zach greer and jason or jeremy noble out of the lineup for for multiple games you know the two of them then that's uh you know you you you, you're in tough those are two key players and we're still playing you know good lacrosse and guys step up so that's been you know very important for us to have the depth that we have um, but yeah, this time of year, we're we seem to be pretty healthy, so that's a good sign. Um, once we get Jordan back, hopefully, you know, that's uh, that's going to be all that we have to deal with for the rest of the season. Well, I think there's one more that people would kind of like an update on, and, and would love to see him back. And uh, what's the status of Junior? And people are always wondering, will we see him this year? I think that's still tough. You know, uh, John's. He's uh, 42 years old and he's battled injuries and, and, you know, none of us wanted to see him go through that this year. And, you know, that's just the reality of the sport. So um, still no timeline right now. We just have to focus on, you know, who we've got healthy and who we've got in the lineup to, to prepare for, for this stretch. But um, yeah, still, still not too sure what that situation looks like with junior. Uh, Before I let you go, uh, did you enjoy the Sunday at the Masters? Did I enjoy? Sorry, what's that? Master Sunday. 
Yeah, I got to watch a little bit. Um, I think it was the 15th, 16th hole. Yeah. I was watching them down the stretch, so it was pretty entertaining. I uh, I had it on, but with a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, it's tough to, <laughs> to leave the TV on and sit there for very long. So um, especially the bye week, the honeydew list was pretty long. So I had to <laughs> knock a couple things off the list and didn't get to spend much time on the couch. But I did get to watch the last three holes and the, the playoff, which was pretty exciting. Yeah, it's the first time to watch it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and finally, uh, who are your Stanley Cup finalists? Who do you got? Uh, I'll just go with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Wow. Oh, you got relations yeah. there, right? You kind of have yeah, I'll to. Just stay with, I'll just stay there. Yeah, I, I don't even need to give you the, the finalist. <laughs> That's the winner. That's the winner. CBJ. Forget about the yep. finalists. That's the winner. Yeah, Gold Jackets. Now, I will say that Dan Carey does have some bias towards the Columbus Blue Jackets. If you're wondering why he's so adamant, uh, he is married, I believe, to the sister of Blue Jackets captain, Nick Felino. And so he kind of has to keep the family happy. So I get it. But I'm sure if he had to choose, he'd probably be a Leafs guy. I know he doesn't think the Leafs are actually going to win. Unlike me, who knows the Oilers are going to win, let's be honest, Connor McJesus is leading us to the Stanley Cup Finals. And we're going to take down Ovi once and for all. And the parade will go down right down White Avenue. And it'll be epic. Almost as epic as Sergio Garcia's win at the Masters. Um, shout out El Nino. It was just a phenomenal finish to the Masters. And I know so many lacrosse guys are golf guys. And it was great seeing all the snaps from the guys of watching the Masters and pulling for Sergio and feeling his heartbreak with every missed putt. And the ebb and flow of that back nine was just ridiculous. And it was great to see Rose and Garcia kind of pull away there late and just make it a two-man race. It was fun to watch, just like the Stanley Cup playoffs are going to be, but more importantly, just like the NLL playoffs are going to be. But we're not quite there yet. Still got some things to decide as we've been going through talking out about this whole show so far. Rochester and Buffalo are in a world of hurt, and we are talking about you know where these two teams are and what they have to do moving forward. And essentially, they need to win. And, you know, the good thing is for both of them, they don't play each other, whereas Vancouver and Calgary do. And unfortunately for Buffalo, you know, they don't play New England either, so they can't really gain ground on them. And so you'd have to think that New England is in a bit of a driver's seat to take that number three seed in the East. They could even get to the number two seed and catch Toronto. I don't think either of Toronto or New England catch Georgia. I just think they're too far ahead and they're playing too good of lacrosse right now to be caught. And with a game and a half cushion on Rochester and Buffalo, I think New England is safely in there in that third spot. Again, they still have a lot of lacrosse to be played and there's still tiebreakers to worry about and things like that happening, but... I think New England is is 
in a pretty good position to take that number three seed. And to see Rochester and Buffalo out of the playoffs just boggles my mind. And it's probably going to lead into some serious, serious shakeups next year. Now, again, I I don't know what's going to happen. Obviously, still a long way away. But you would expect and you would think that there would be some changes amongst those regimes during the offseason. And I know Kurt Styers in Rochester has been moving some pieces around. You know, they, they moved Selfer, both Selfers. Um, there was talks that Vitarelli was on the blocks. There was talks that, I think I mentioned, that, mentioned this um, after the trade deadline, there was talks that Matt Vince was on the blocks in a possible deal. So if if those guys were on the block at the trade deadline but maybe taken off the block because Styers thought that his group could get into the playoffs, maybe in the offseason he does try to make a move and deal those guys. And I think there'd be some definite buyers out there for Vitarelli. Obviously, I'm sure some teams would take a gander at Matt Vince. Uh, you know, how much longer does Dan Dawson have in him? It's questions to be had. But again, we're far away from those questions needing to be asked because we are in a serious race. Um, like I said, in a lot of aspects of this season, probably the biggest race that everyone is obviously keeping their eye on is the scoring race. And as I mentioned a little bit earlier, Curtis Dixon is now leading the NLL in scoring. 6.6 points per game in his last uh, last five games. Mark Matthews just one point behind. Corey Small at 92. Lyle Thompson, 90. And Callum Crawford at 85. And when I... I watch Curtis Dixon in the Roughnecks play. You know, I, I often say, you know, they need secondary scoring to help support this guy. They need all the other guys to step up. Well, they have. Westberg has stepped up. Doby and Shatler continue to just be stalwarts on that lefty side. Riley Lowen chipped in last weekend. And the, that's a sign of a team, you know, coming together at the right time when all the role guys are chipping in. And when you put up, you know, 18 like they did on the weekend. And, you know, sorry, 13. They put up 21 a couple weekends ago. Like, this is a team that can score. They put up 21 on Georgia. So this is a team that has the ability to be a top-level team. There's just something in the water sometimes that just makes them go completely blank. And it hurts them in the long run because... They lose these games that they should be winning or they just they fail to show up. And it just, I know it drives Kurt Miloski nuts. And it drives everybody in that locker room nuts because it's not often something you can just put your finger on. But Curtis Dixon has been carrying this lacrosse team. And he has to start to become uh, 
a talking point for MVP. Now, I don't think he wins it, but I think he now has to sort of be in the conversation. And I think a lot of those guys at the top of the scoring charts are MVP candidates. Dixon, Matthew, Small, Thompson. You would probably throw Callum Crawford in there, but I think Dylan Ward is the MVP for the Colorado Mammoth this year. Callum Crawford has been phenomenal. Phenomenal. Like AJ Styles, phenomenal. But Dylan Ward has been the reason that they have been winning the games. He set a a career high for wins in a season. Uh, He continues to be one of the top goaltenders in the National Lacrosse League. He's definitely going to be in a race with Nick Rose for goalie of the year. At the end of the year, he leads the league in save percentage. Rose leads the league in goals against average. Boldy leads the league and wins. I think those are your top three goalies. But it's going to come down to the wire. Just like I think the scoring race is going to come down to the wire. Lyle Thompson is eight back of Mark Matthews for assists. Uh, Corey Small, seven back of Dixon for goals. So neither of those are really settled yet either. But when you look at overall points, Dixon's going to get to 100. Matthews, Small, Thompson, they're all going to get to 100. Crawford's probably going to get there as well. But it's just been... It's been great to see those guys, those elite, top-level guys, step up in big games. And Steve Govett always says this to me. Excuse me. Always says this to me. When I talk to them after games, whether they win or they lose, you know, if they win, it's our best guys were our best guys. And when they lose, often it's our our best guys weren't our best guys. And those five guys at the top of the points, point charts are the best guys on their teams. And that's the reason they are there. But they're also the reason why their teams are so successful. Now, I was asked um, a week or so ago if Corey Small should be up there in the MVP category. And I think, again, I think he has to be considered. 2017 is looking like it will be the first year since the 2011 season when Lewis Ratcliffe led the club with 92 points that Dutch hasn't led the stealth organization in points. And that year... He only missed it out by two points. And the year before that, he had 86 and was second on the team. So Reese Dutch has been 1-2 in scoring in the stealth organization since 2010. And now, here in 2017 with the Vancouver Stealth, this will be the first year since 2013 he hasn't led the team in scoring. And I think you have to give Corey Small a lot of credit. He has just gone about his business. He's not flashy. He's never going to really, you know, beat you with blistering speed or a swim move or anything like that. He just shoots the ball really, really well. And he has incredible floor vision. And he's a very quiet and unassuming leader. And I truly believe that he is the MVP of that club this year. 
and has brought a real balance to that offense. And yeah, I think he can get MVP considerations. However, it's not often a guy gets MVP if his team doesn't make the playoffs. So in saying that, Corey Small will have to do quite a bit to really earn those MVP votes. But if he gets his team into the postseason, maybe. Because, again, the awards don't take into account the regular or the, the postseason. However, if Corey Small can go off for, you know, 20 points in the next three games and the Stealth win all three games and get into the postseason, then you definitely have to consider him as an MVP candidate. But I think that race is still pretty wide open. You know, Lyle Thompson has come back around into that conversation, especially after the couple weekends that he's had. Uh, Mark Matthews easily is in that conversation, along with Dylan Ward. Um, I don't know who's going to be the MVP of The Rock, though. That's that's a really tough question. Heck, I don't even know who the heck the MVP of the Bandits is going to be. But when we're talking guys who will be in the consideration for MVP at the end of the year, who would you give it to if you had to pick one guy from The Rock? Would it be Nick Rose or would it be Tom Schreiber? Schreiber's going to run away with Rookie of the Year. And I truly believe that he could get the MVP nod from The Rock and be in serious conversation about MVP in the league if he if he does get that nod. But it wouldn't shock me, surprise me, or make me mad if the nominee from The Rock was Nick Rose. Because Rosie is having himself a year. And it's really hard not to credit a goaltender with a year like Nick Rose is having and not look at him as an MVP candidate. Eight wins, first in goals against 10.18, third in save percentage at 7.85, second in total saves. Like, he's up there in every single goaltending category. And with Dylan, sorry, not Dylan, with Brandon Miller being out most of the year, uh, recovering from surgery, they needed Rosie to be fantastic. And he has been. So Toronto votes a bit of a flip of a coin. I'd love to see Schreiber get in there. Um, We've only ever had one American MVP. That was Casey Powell uh, when he was with the Orlando Titans. We've never had, I don't, Mm, I don't want to say this on record, I, but I think Gate, one of the Gates did it, um, to have a rookie be the MVP of the league. But it's not unthinkable. Brody Merrill won defensive player, the co-defensive player of the year and rookie of the year, or maybe it was co-rookie of the year and defensive player of the year when he first came in. So it's not unthinkable. I just, I don't know if Schreiber has done quite enough to make it 
into um, or make it over a guy like Lyle Thompson. But, and I've said but a lot this show, but he's not far off. He's seventh in the league in scoring. He's got three games left. And if he continues his average, he's just going to come shy of a 100-point season in his rookie year. For a guy that never played box across, to step inside and put up, possibly put up a 100-point season is ridiculous. And to do it with The Rock in Toronto, like where they've never really had a s- strong American presence, I think it's one of the stories of the year. I really do. But again, I, 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 when, when I get my ballot for, for the year-end awards, I truly don't know who I'm going to vote for or who I'm going to pick for all the awards. Because it's just been that crazy of a year. And we still have three weeks to go. It's fantastic. Fantastic. Before we get out of here, um, very heavy hearts in the lacrosse community this week. Um, and want to send all of our love, strength, and condolences to um, Jesse Fair and his family uh, at the passing of Jesse's father, David, on April 8th, just a couple of days ago. Um, if you don't know who David Fair was, he was a real reason why the Okotoks Raiders are who they are and a massive reason of why Alberta Lacrosse is where it is today. He was incredibly instrumental in helping to develop the game of lacrosse in Alberta. And as Brad Bannister said, that every kid that has come through the program in the last decade or so that has gone to the NCAA, past Junior B lacrosse, even into the pros, owes a debt of gratitude to Mr. Fair. And it's not going to be the same in those arenas uh, without him. It's a massive loss for everybody. And I know the entire lacrosse community has rallied around the Fair family and send their wishes of love and support. And and we do that here at OTCB. Um, And just want to let them know that we're thinking of them and we love them. And we hope that David is in a happier, better place today. With that, we'll end another episode of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. I want to thank Dan Lattisur and Dan Carey for stopping by. And of course, as always, want to thank you for taking the time to listen to me ramble and talk lacrosse, throw in some hockey, throw in some masters. I'll throw in some wrestling. Um, Quickly, Braun Strowman picked up an ambulance and flipped it over. I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, Find me on Twitter, at off the crossbar, you can email me teddy.jenner 
at gmail.com. Uh, we are on iTunes, by the way. I've had a couple people ask me. Uh, you just go to the iTunes and you can search OTCB podcast, put it all in as one word, and you'll be able to find all these. You can download them right to your phone. And you can take my sultry toned voice wherever you go. Until next time, enjoy the games, everybody. Take a friend to a game and take two, because the more friends you bring, the more fun you're going to have. We'll talk in a week's time. Be excellent to each other.